you're listening to a Mash Those Buttons podcast. Visit mashthosebuttons.com for a full podcast schedule. Guardian. Guardian. Welcome to episode 49 of In Orbit, Mash Those Buttons podcast dedicated to Destiny and its community. Wherever you are and whenever you're listening, we thank you as always for making us a part of your Destiny experience. My name is Jorge. And I'm Jordan. So last week's episode, episode 48, focused more on the patrol and the story that we were discussing. We're doing a review of Destiny 1. Everything from vanilla to the current Rise of Iron expansion and currently the dawning event, which is set to expire at the end of recording today. So what we're going to be going into today are a little bit of a controversial um, topics um, with regards to Crucible and the endgame. We also want to talk about social spaces and how they integrate into the bigger Destiny experience. So Jordan wasn't able to make the uh, the podcast last week, but I want to get him to discuss quickly what he believes um, is good, bad, and what he wants to see improved with regards to the patrol and story elements of the game. So Jordan, go ahead and take it away. All right. Well, so I sort of wanted to start with some Destiny 1 stuff, like you said, and... I'm mostly a PvE player, not a PvP player as much. So my uh, most of my experience and my thoughts um, on PvE are, are pretty well developed. PvP, not so much, but I do play quite a bit of Crucible. Um, I, I have been starting to play the last year a lot more. So I'm starting to get that feel. I'm starting to see what's wrong and see what's right, at least in my opinion. So I got some thoughts on that, but... Um, my my real quick list, and we can talk about it a little bit more uh, in more detail uh, for year one, my, the do's or the things that I really liked about year one, uh, strike scoring. I really like the strike scoring, uh, the weekly crucible bounties, and the bounties regarding uh, the shack stuff. Uh, I thought those were awesome. I thought it was really good to have those in the game. And I want to see those uh, continue. The weekly quests that we've been getting with the Rise of Iron event, I think those are fantastic. And we got some more with the dawning in regards to the strikes. I'd like to see stuff like that continue and grow. The multiple paths towards higher light level, I think, was a good thing, although it was flawed in some aspects. And we can talk about that a little bit more. We have talked about that in the past. Uh, The raid challenges are awesome. That's something that should continue, and I think they can expand upon. And back to the Crucible, uh, the Trials of Osiris event, I want to see something like that continue. Not necessarily Trials, but some sort of weekly Crucible event that comes around that 
allows you to challenge yourself or provides a challenge and gives the top tier crucible players a way to get to higher light. Um, things that I am not terribly happy with or things I, I don't want to see continue. Um, this is sort of the other side of one of my points for things I want to see continue. It's the multiple paths to max light. <laughs> it's basically the same thing. I want to see it continue, but I don't want to see it continue because I think one of the flaws and that we've discussed is that it's too easy to get to max light without doing right. in-game activity. So that's a do and a don't. Yeah, we'll discuss that later on. Um, but right now I just want to focus on patrol and story. What exactly oh, sorry. do you... Yeah, it's okay. No, <laughs> I got I, carried I, away I, with my notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but let, let's go ahead and focus on the patrol and story. So for patrol, so we're doing patrol Destiny 1, right? Yeah. yeah. So the great thing about the patrol in my mind for Destiny 1 is that it sort of was a different take on other games out there um, that have done similar things with you know, where you have different planets or different maps, if you will. And it gives you a, an active way to explore those maps uh, in a repeated fashion. But the problem that we had with patrols, I think since day one, is that it was so repetitive and you, it, it got old really quick. Uh, nothing really felt fresh. Uh, for the longest time, <clears throat> excuse me, for the longest time in patrol, you would go out and patrol and you would simply uh, feel like you were just running. You, you'd just be on your sparrow. You'd be flying around and you didn't really know what you were doing or why you were doing it is a better way to say it. Um, you, you would have all these patrol missions you know, where you go up to the beacon, you get the mission and you do it and you get some experience and it was a good way to get experience. But, uh, if you remember early on, uh, getting experience and reputation was pretty slow going. So it wasn't really, uh, it wasn't the best path forward to getting reputation and experience, um, at least towards factions and such like that, because, you got so little reputation out of doing those um, public events. Uh, that was something that you were doing on patrol. And for the longest time, um, they were very, I um, can't think of the word I want to use. I guess uh, they, they just weren't satisfying. Um, again, they didn't really give you a whole lot of experience or reputation towards factions at the Vanguard. Um, they just sort of happened and there were a couple of things that were tied into the public events, um, uh, somewhat early on, uh, like the, uh, public event, uh, on Skywatch where you had to kill the, uh, the hive knight. I can't remember his name. Was it Thalnok? No, uh, it was, um, Urzok the Hated. Urzok. Yeah. I couldn't, I haven't done that once for so long. I couldn't remember his name, but you know, there was very, there's very little to entice you to go on patrol and to do public events and such until recently. So, um, I, I hope that what they do with the patrol and the public events, um, is, is something that entices us to continue to do them. Cause even though they up updated the patrol and the public events and more specifically, the public events, uh, you know, it, it still doesn't entice me to go do them. It, it did at first because 
it gave us better rewards and more reputation. But once you hit max light, and now that I have 400 light level gear raining down on me every time I get a reward, I really don't need or want to go do patrol. I'll do them. I'll hit a public event and if it drops, if I'm just messing around, going through the plague lands to the forge or uh, um, I don't know, you know, I, there, honestly, there isn't a whole lot of reason for me to go on patrol right now. Um, so, you know, um, I hope that they do something specifically with patrol um, to uh, entice you to do it more. Um, and then you also wanted to talk about, was it the strikes or? It was the uh, story. The story. Oh, God. The story. <laughs> Well, I have this. Um, is it okay to talk about the social spaces as well? Yeah. Okay. Because a lot of what I I have going on in my head in regards to what we do on patrol and what I want to see done with the story sort of ties in with social spaces. A big thing that keeps popping up um, in my head when I'm thinking about Destiny 2 and then thinking back on Destiny 1, which sort of ties into itself, is uh, how the story just was not there. Literally not there. Uh, it was out of the game. It was on a website, Bungie's website. That's where you read about the story. Very little of the story was provided in-game. Even now, it's still lacking. It's relatively segmented. You still have to read the grammar to get of the the full picture and to get a real feel for the story and its pacing um i really want to see a a more integrated uh, or uh, trying to think of how to say this a more integrated approach towards the blending of story inside the game through the use of a expanded social space that can incorporate uh sort of like a patrol feel and with public events and other things. Um, I'm, it, we were I was trying to think of like what games bring that to the table. And I, I, I think of stuff like Skyrim and ESO. I picked up ESO finally. Um, I've seen, I have friends that play Skyrim and I've done that and they talk about it all the time. And I've seen them play and I finally had some time uh, the past year to, I picked up ESO recently and I played around with Skyrim, other things like that. And it really started to click with me how they integrate their social space within the game. And I think it does a lot in regards to story. You can really feel the story. You're not just reading it. If you read the story on a website like you do on Bungie.net for Destiny, it doesn't have the same impact when you're playing the game and actually almost, you know, quote unquote, living the story to some degree. Um, the impact is greater. And I think it, it really sets in and sinks in to you and you start to get more invested in the game. I don't really feel invested in Destiny's story the way they've done it for Destiny 1 because of that. And I just sort of run strikes because it's fun. With I run it with friends. I run the crucible with friends because it's fun to play with people, um, raids and such like that. But um, I'm not in there because I'm invested in the story. I think if they do, I think if they incorporate a more dynamic social space, 
that's integrated with the patrol and provides a greater depth to the story that people will feel more invested. Solo players will play more and people will play together more as a result. Um, that's, I could talk, I talk about this general subject a lot. Um, there's a lot of ideas that, you know, you can, you can place within an expanded social space. And when I say expanded social space, um, I don't mean taking the tower and making it bigger and giving you more things to do. I mean, integrating it, not just expanding it, integrating it into the game play. So you're actually in sort of like a town, say the last city, for instance, make the last city our social space. A lot of people have been talking about Destiny 2's story, what they think is going to happen. Uh, there's a few uh, well-known sources that have provided a you know narrative of some sort to what they think will be the tie-in between Destiny 1 and Destiny 2. And that, that common occurrence seems to be the destruction of the tower, which is our main social space. And I sort of buy into that a little bit. And I think doing that and allowing us to roam around the last city as our social space, but also doubling it as like a patrol space, excuse me, a patrol space or some sort of playable space. I think just, I think that will provide the, the, the proper platform and basis for that expanded story, more integrated story for destiny Two. Yeah. And with regards to social spaces, just so that we're, making sure everybody understands we're currently talking about the social spaces such as the tower the reef and uh the iron temple while the lighthouse technically is a social space that's a different type of social space and it the way it operates is completely different than other social spaces so we're not using it for this example however that being said, I kind of want to jump in and piggyback off of what you were saying, because in some ways, one of the cool things that has popped up in uh, my history of playing games, let's say, for example, Zelda, is when you, whenever you go into a town, that is the social space or whatever you want to call, call it for that game. Um, now, obviously, it's not a massively multiplayer online. There's not multiple links running around. But I've always looked at the town as the example of a social space. It's an area that normally is not inhabited by enemies or you clear it out of enemies and then you, you are able to go ahead and do things. And one of the cool things that I think would have been interesting in the game would have been if there were mini games throughout the tower. Things that you could, for example, gamble on. It would add to the whole mystique and lore because if you think about it, uh, the one of the main characters, Cade himself, is renowned for his gambling, spending money on games. If there was a card game of some sort, or let's say even take a cue from Final Fantasy, a mini game within a game, uh, like Triple Triad from Final Fantasy VIII, or I forget the one that was on Final Fantasy IX, but say triple triad where you had cards based on exotic weapons, legendary weapons, bosses, the Oryx card had high power, 
on this side or whatever. Things like that, it, it would have added a lot to the game. Um, and there's precedent for it. I mean, if you look at games like The Witcher, uh, Witcher has its own game that became very popular outside of the game. There are people who were spending hours upon hours, and, and I, I apologize that I completely forgot the name of the, the game, uh, but there's a lot of people who enjoy these side games just as much as the regular game. It provides opportunities for things uh, beyond the game um, and even in the game. For example, let's say that there, it, there was some sort of gambling game in the tower and you became pretty good at it. All of a sudden, you earn reputation with some sort of faction. They invite you into their ranks and they give you schematics for a new gun. And you can use those schematics to build your own exotic that you could have only gotten had you done that minigame. Things like that provide value to the game outside of going outside and shooting things. Not that shooting things isn't fun, but when I'm playing a game like Destiny, I'm always thinking of games that preceded it that add, val that add value to their games. Beyond the random, for example, in Zelda, beyond the random slash and, and grab rubies, you go out there to play games, to the archery game, the, uh, the, the treasure chest mini game. Um, in fact, some of the pieces of heart that empower you are hidden within these mini games. So that's always been a, a thing that's always intrigued me. And I hope that they go and take that extra step and make some sort of mini games that are available in whatever the social space. Uh, another thing I kind of want them to do with regards to social spaces is make it so that there is a social space specific to your faction and make it so that the social spaces fit with that faction. A, the fact that Dead Orbit has a representative in the tower it's kind of weird and goes against what Dead Orbit is all about. Dead Orbit is all about establishing uh, some sort of, I don't want to say culture, that's not the word, but some sort of group beyond the solar system. They see the current solar system as dead. That's why it's called Dead Orbit. And they want to go out and, and set up life outside of this solar system and, and, and start anew. So it would make sense if the dead orbit uh, social space was, in fact, let's say a flagship of some sorts, the dead orbit ship. And you go in there and with other dead orbit people and you can get, I don't know, weapons, armor, uh, just some sort of boost to yourself. Uh, it, it, it's kind of like an ESO, Elder Scrolls Online. There are specific towns that are set up based on your faction. And even if you want to take it a step further, um, and this kind of ties into the leveling of your character. Um, one of the things that I didn't entirely enjoy about Destiny was the way that you leveled up your character. I think it was a little static. You just get experience, unlock the next node, move on. Um, let's take a game, for example, Final Fantasy X. Final Fantasy X had a giant 
sphere grid that you could unlock your uh, for your character. Your character starts on a particular part of the grid, and as you branch out and level up, you get to access nodes. If you go to the left side, you're more offensive, or if you go to the right side, you're more support. Um, and that was never in in here with Destiny. In Destiny, it's pretty much you unlock things and then you move on. It's kind of simplified. Yeah, it was very linear. So one of the things that I would like to see with regards to Destiny 2 is a more dynamic way of operating. For example, we already know that there's the Praxic Warlocks. Praxic Warlocks, they're more pragmatic. They're more in tune with what's going on. And they don't always have their nose stuck in a book. It would be cool if you took the Praxic line, if you're a warlock, and you learn spells that were more offensive. Change up the spells. Uh, not everything has to be a giant solar grenade. It could be, let's say, a fire bolt that came out of your hand and was aimed at an enemy. I like the concept of the warlock, and there's always the chance for abuse. But it's up to Bungie to balance it out. And I think that making spells and, and, and things that fit the warlock and enhance it and make it feel more like a warlock outside of just throwing grenades and a random melee attack, attack that can hit you from 15 miles away. It, it, they didn't take this extra step because I think they might have been afraid of the balancing. So that's something that I hope that they address in the future. But yeah, just taking it that extra step with regards to social spaces learning about your class learning how to apply that class leading to leveling up your character in different ways and going in different directions not everything has to be a sun singer warlock with these specific nodes activated because this is what the meta calls for if you change your abilities based on your way of learning or you level up based on different ways of learning and the social spaces re react to that or you are act or you get access to certain areas of the social space because you are in a particular order or chose to follow a particular path that adds a lot of dynamic to these social spaces makes it feel more alive and makes it feel like your decisions have weight have impact yeah um man there's so much there is so much content uh when you start talking about the social space in my mind um i i was thinking of other things while you were talking i'm gonna try to recall what was going through my head now <laughs> while i was listening to you um you were talking about the mini games um that was something that I had in my notes was something added into the game, basically another game within the game and not just games like the one from Witcher and Final Fantasy and that have consequences or impact to the, to the main gameplay, but other fun stuff as well. That's just cool. Just adding something to the game that gives you a sense that you're in a living, breathing world because destiny is supposed to be an MMO RPG FPS 
blah, 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 whatever. A couple more acronyms. Yeah, it, it, to me, in the realm of video games, a game that touts itself as such should feel like a living world. But Destiny, it feels like a simulation. A lot of people say that it feels like a beta still. Like Destiny 1 has just been one big beta leading up to Destiny 2, which everyone hopes is going to be the game. But and I agree that that feel is due to the fact that we don't have an integrated story and all the things that we already talked about. Adding things such as mini games, expanded social spaces will allow this game to breathe and become truly alive. And that would be awesome to see. Uh, along with the social spaces, you mentioned the factions. And I think adding more factions uh, that other things that we've seen in the Grimoire. I don't, I, I cannot pronounce that word. I, I, I go to say it. <laughs> it doesn't come out correctly all the time. I don't words well. Sorry about that. But Which Grimoire? Grimoire. Well, just in general, uh, they're just the destiny story that we read in the Grimoire, Grimoire cards mention other factions. Uh, there was like the Sunbreaker Titans where we got our hammers from. And that's one. You know, that's a, you can sort of consider that a faction. You mentioned the Praxic Warlocks, sort of like a different faction, as you will, of Warlocks. You know, these things should be, you should be able to encounter this in the game or these groups in the game. Um, there's probably, there's other races. I'm sure there's others. It seems like, it seems like we're limited in the number of different races that we encounter considering we're, we're not just dealing with a solar system here. We're dealing with a universe. We're dealing with beings that come from very far away. The traveler came from far away. The Fallen came from far away. Cabal. The Vex. Yeah, we don't really know where they're from. For sure. And then the uh, the Hive. There's obviously, or I shouldn't say obviously, but I would assume that there are more races. And there should be, um, or I, I feel that there's a lot of things that they can do with the story. Maybe in Destiny 1, that helps lead into Destiny 2 and provide the opening for additional races, either ones that we play or encounter. That would be cool to see. Um, expanding, again, expanding the social spaces uh, or the game and integrating everything more cleanly uh, can provide the narrative to make all this um, work make sense, and introduce things like that. Um, another thing I had that sort of ties into the whole social space aspect and uh, a larger, more integrated game experience are, is the ability to fly your jump ships. You know, something that we never really experience are the jump ships that we use every day. You know, the ones that we use to get from social space to planet to the dreadnought. It's, we use it all the time, but we never actually experience it. We have our sparrow that we can run around on in patrol, but the jump ship is just sort of a an anim it's an animation used to bring us between social space and playable space it's like a cutscene. it's not really uh, a tangible object to us it's just something pretty it's a trophy it'd be cool if they gave us the ability to fly the jump ships 
you know, considering that we're flying into planets and going on patrol, and we know that some of these planets, well, these planets are big. Uh, Sparrow's pretty small and relatively slow. Imagine if we could fly to a planet and then we could use our Sparrow to get around to points that are close to each other, but then we could use our jump ship and actually fly it between points on the planet that are further and maybe have something else to do. Maybe enemy ships like the fallen ships come and we can encounter them. Maybe we can fight them. Maybe we have to take ships down. It's just the same way we would take enemies down on patrol. Maybe even fly them in space. You know, we had the, the huge space battle against the dreadnought. Maybe that could be something we do in the game as I don't know if it would be a strike type of activity or maybe part of a raid. Imagine if instead of the um, the raid for the Taken King, instead of just sort of happening or being on the Dreadnought, maybe we uh, start by attacking the Dreadnought and having to get through the defenses in our jump ships. And we're flying through and the first part of that raid is actually trying to get onto the dreadnought. That would have been really cool. And it's just uh, another thing that I think would make the Destiny experience more immersive and make it feel more alive. Um, yeah, definitely. I, I think that one of the things that we're going to see in Destiny 2, almost by necessity, because you've introduced and it's the uh, the ships. Uh, I believe that the ships will be more dynamic and will be more than just a loading screen from one planet to the next. And I hope, too, that with regards to those ships, um, I mean, we've already... And again, we'll go ahead and put the links up in the show notes. But with regards to uh, the ships themselves, I... Uh, I and the missions. One of the things that always did, that took me out of kind of enjoying the story was the fact that you always had to go back to the tower or go back to orbit when you've completed a mission. And sometimes it does doesn't make any sense. Let's take a look at the first few missions on Earth. So you start off on Earth. Um, you spawn in. You get the dropship. Makes sense that you're going to the tower. Then they send you back to get a piece from the area that you that you got your dropship from. And you kill the Archon Priest. You get that piece. I understand you got to go back to the tower because they're outfitting you. Right there and then, you should have been... And, and I, they may have changed it since then. But... That should have opened up, okay, I have missions now on different planets. And the reason that's important is because if you've given, if you've been given this, this ability to, to travel between planets now, it doesn't make sense that you're confined to Earth. Um, and then when you do get to, let's say, a different planet or whatever, it's always gated by the, it was gated by level. And that always seemed weird to me. Because while I do want there, there to be challenges with regards to, to difficulty, 
I don't want the planets themselves to be locked out by difficulty because then you run into a situation where you have right now where Earth is the easy difficulty. Mar uh, moon is intermediate. Same thing with Venus. Mars is the quote-unquote hard difficulty. And it then you you just run into situations where you're just boat racing everything and instead of just kind of like having some sort of challenge. So I would like to see there to be more um, where patrol doesn't really open up until you've completed the missions. Even if there's a patrol, it would be, in fact, for me, and, and this is what I've been reading, is that you go onto a planet. When you're on a planet, you're given quests as opposed to missions. Um, and it'll be like, for example, you go back to Earth, you go to the one mission where you have to fight the wizard. And under current circumstances, that would have been it. That would have been the end of the mission. But let's say that after you beat that wizard, the doors that are behind the wizard open up. And it gets you to the next mission where, um, where you get the uh, array codes. So you go straight from the wizard, you go out to Skywatch, you get the pieces of the code, you go to the area, and you unlock the array. And then once you unlock that array, it doesn't take you straight to orbit. You can go and do another mission where almost immediately afterwards. You're still on Earth. You're still in the same area that you were at. You're not being booted to orbit. You're, you're, you're constantly opening up new things. And that's something that I hope that they take advantage of in the future. Because it would have been cool to go from that story mission from, from the wizard straight to the array. When you're in that array room, there's a door that's actually closed. That opens up and then all of a sudden you, you go to the one mission where you're collecting the cues for Rasputin. And you're using those cues to learn more about Rasputin himself. Yeah, so sort there's, of questify the missions and make them all seamless. Right, so you I mean, just play it as one big story on each exactly, planet. exactly. Just, just you have to, obviously they would have have had to reorder a lot of this stuff because if you open up the door, then all of a sudden you you kind of go through an area where the last part of the mission would be. But I mean, some of the, some of the ways that the that you mitigate that is by better design. One of the things that's always struck to me about destiny is it seems a little it seems disjointed and i'm not sure if that was the way they intended it but all the missions feel like disjointed pieces that somewhat fit into the world that they're in but don't really make sense um and i'm my criticism might seem very very picky and i apologize <laughs> But the, here's, here's one of the things that, that's always stuck out to me. Let's take, for example, the moon. And the moon, with regards to patrol, was always one of which I already discussed in the previous episode. The moon, with regards to patrol, always seemed weird because you have these three areas on the outside. The moon is a very vertical uh, area. It's not so much horizontal. It's not going from one area to the next to the next, which there is that. But after, once you get inside, it's very vertical. You're going down. And actually, yesterday I was, I was doing some sort of a, a walk around, giving my thoughts on the moon itself. 
But it always seemed weird to me how easily accessible the Hive Palace was. You have to think of, I mean, you're literally going into Crota's palace, his castle, or whatever you want to call it. That's, that's his stronghold. If that is the stronghold of a prince, it is so easily accessible and so easily broken into. There's not much defense. There's not much. If, if I'm guarding a castle, I'm putting up some massive infantry in the front. Things that dissuade you from going inside. Now, you must be like, well, why wouldn't I want to go inside the castle? Well, you do want to go inside and, and, and you want there, I would want rewards to be inside. So you put more enemies in there. You make it feel like it's being guarded, like it's an actual fortress. And with regards to patrols and, and the way the story works, if you put all these 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 guards, these these things to dissuade you from trying to go inside, and the story calls you to go inside, you feel like you're going into up against a battle. It's more dynamic. It feels more. Like there's more weight as to going inside this this high prince's palace. Yeah, it should sort of feel like the those randomly generated uh public events where the enemies move against each other, where mm -hmm. it's just absolute craziness. I, I could imagine it being like that. Absolutely. I mean, I mean that's that, that's what I've always thought when I think of the hive. I almost think of the Zerg from StarCraft. Just endless numbers coming after you. And there's only one time where you get that kind of feeling with regards to the Hive, and that's the stills in Crota's uh, End. That's the darkness area where you're constantly being surrounded by Thrall. And I thought that they did a very good job there, and it may very well be that it's a limitation of the hardware. We have to remember that even though they left behind PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 support, this game was designed from the ground up for those systems. So it's still going to be limited by the engine that was designed for those systems. The game that we're currently playing is basically an upscaled version of these systems games. So there's the limitations of the hardware that prevent us from getting overwhelmed or run run over by numbers it would have been cool as as you're going through the palace you hear loud growls and 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 hive language being spoke just, just like they're cursing you the the guardian is here the one of, of the light and you and your ghost is translating the the hive speech so that there's added context and added just you're starting to get the sense that you're in an area that's forbidden so the palace was cool in concept, and when you go through it, it looks very ordinate and very, very royal and, and in a in a dark kind of way. It just feels rather empty, and that's one of the problems that I've had with that patrol. I'm hoping that in the future, if there's another hive palace or something like that that we go through, that we're just getting swarmed by enemies that they're just they're fighting tooth and nail to prevent you from going down into the pit. And even more, it just always seemed weird that when you go on patrol and you're going through this high 
palace, everything's opened up. And yet when you select a particular mission, all of a sudden that door is closed up and you have to unlock the, the hive rooms. It, 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 it's, it's always seemed weird and, and disjointed. And that's one of the things that I want them to do with regards to social spaces. I mean, not social spaces, I apologize. With regards to the game, making it more dynamic and fleshed out. Yeah. Um, some sort of, you mentioned the, um, I guess the levels for the different planets like Earth, Moon, where Earth and the Moon are the easier ones, and working and you work your way up to Mars through Venus, where Mars is the most difficult. Um, yeah, if they introduced some sort of mechanic or way to change the difficulty of these patrol areas, that would be pretty nice um, because it does sort of it does sort of take away from the desire to want to go back into patrol. Uh, and do missions uh, on patrol and do the public events on Earth and such uh, outside of the latest update because it's so easy. There's no challenge to it. You're just rolling around shooting stuff. It's it's great if you want to test out a new weapon and see how it aims and shoots, but outside of the crucible, that is. But there's really no challenge to it, and there's really no reason to do it. Um, yeah, uh, there's other games that introduce... Uh, I'll use the term world tier. Uh, I've been playing Division a bunch lately, and they have that in their game where you can change the difficulty of the environment around you to suit the types of rewards and challenge that you want. Um, so if you could do that, I mean, that, that that's a really simple thing that could actually make the patrol areas uh, more challenging and more interesting. And if they did that, in addition to you know, making the experience more seamless along with the social spaces and everything we've discussed so far in this episode, you know, that, again, just making the, the game not just more alive, but continuing to chat, making it so that it continuously challenges the player. Yeah, so with regards to patrols, which is actually a good segue to the next topic, I want the patrols themselves to be part of Endgame. Um, and before we get into that topic, let's go ahead and discuss what Endgame currently is. Um, we actually had, uh, me and David were speaking about this with regards to Endgame. So Endgame in vanilla was Iron Banner, and it was the raid, Vault of Glass, which you had to be light level 26 for. Eventually with the Dark Below, they introduced... Uh, Crota's End. But with regards to Endgame, it was just those three particular activities. You had Vault of Glass, you had Crota's End, and you had Iron Banner. And then came uh, House of Wolves. House of Wolves didn't have a raid, but it did have the uh, arena. So you had the arena level 32, level 34, and level 35. In addition to that, you had the previous two raids, you had Iron Banner, and you finally had another piece of PvP uh, endgame activity known as Trials of Osiris. With regards to PvP, not much has changed since then. Iron Banner and Trials of Osiris are still your endgame activity. With regards to endgame, 
as opposed to having those three activities which are relatively close in maximum light. And I say relatively because being level light level 34 was a big advantage over being light level 30. But with regards to the end game in PvE, that quickly shifted over in taking King to be just the raid itself. And these were the, the things that you did to get max light items. And taking King everything changed. Max light was now 320. And you still had Trials of Osiris and you still had Iron Banner. But with regards to other activities that you could do beyond the Nightfall, which also can be considered an endgame activity, there wasn't any other sources to get max light. But what happened? In the Taken King, they introduced a, an item called Three of Coins. So Three of Coins was one of the best and worst things to happen to the game. And I know a lot of people are going to disagree with me on that point. But at least let me make my point. And, I can, and I'll definitely bring up the point that a lot of people bring up. With regards to Three of Coins, it basically made it so that you can get virtually all the exotics with very minor, um, not minor, but uh, very few that weren't affected by it, but virtually all the exotics in the game. There were a couple different activities that required you to do certain things to get the exotic itself. You had the gunsmith exotics. There's three of them. Then you had the um, the swords themselves. Actually, there's four for the gunsmith. Right, uh, but I, I don't count that one. Uh, the, okay. um, the the first curse. So you had the three spe class specific ones. You had the first curse. You had the swords, and then you had um, the touch of malice one. So all these different things weren't really weren't, weren't real sources of max light though because they would drop at specific levels but the three of coins exotics would always decrypt at these higher levels so people were using them as infusion fuel rather than the exotics themselves so because it was so easy to get these exotics a lot of people didn't spend much time searching or grinding for them and a lot of people ended up not really using them that much. I mean, you could argue that at first, hereafter, and various of the other smaller exotics got some use. But after a certain amount of time, people just went into battle without even having a certain exotic equipped. And in year one, that was never the case. It was almost as if you were wasting the spot by not having an exotic arm or helm or whatever. You're doing yourself a disservice. Year, year two, if you didn't have an exotic equip, no big deal. You, can, you could live without it. And then we come into year, well, actually before that. So there was still a limit to what you could do because of the way the leveling system worked. It wasn't guaranteed 320. You had anything from 310 to 320 if you were in that range. So you could literally be 319 and only get 310 drops, which angered quite a, f a few people. And they were always arguing about the 319. So in comes the April update. 
and it changed several things. It added the the one-to-one infusion fuel, which that was actually a good thing. It never made sense to me why there was such diff ooh, excuse me. Why there was such difficulty in leveling up your your items just because of the ma- the math. But then you had it so that there was multiple sources to get the max light, which was now 335. You had the Challenge of Elders, you had the Raid, you had Strike-specific loot, and you had all these different other avenues to get max light. Iron Banner, Trials of Osiris. But it doesn't solve the issue that's really at hand and why there's always going to be a disconnect between the what people call the 1% and those that don't have. Having max light was always, at least in the beginning, seen as a sign of you did activities. And you can argue, well, that's what emblems and, and shaders and ornaments are all for. But the problem that you run into is you're, you're giving all these people this power. In this case, right now we have max 400 light. For activities that don't really require you to be 400 light. And what I mean by that is a lot of these people who unfortunately aren't able to get into strike, I'm sorry, into raids, often spend their time doing strikes or... Um, Archon's Forge, or, or just minor activities that at most probably require you to be 360, 370. And for me, I've always viewed the Strikes and Archon's Forge and all these minor activities not as endgame, but as ways to get you to endgame. And when you start dropping all these max light items, you take away from the value of the max endgame stuff. The other problem that we're running into with regards to this game is that a lot of this could be avoided had there been more endgame activity. The problem is that while the raid is very cool and very fun, it's always going to be 10 times easier to get two other people for an activity rather than five other people. So for me, I've always viewed the end game activity as lacking because of the amount of items. I, I'm a huge fan of the raids. I think they're fantastic. Every single one of them has a lot to, to, to provide with regards to excitement and challenge. In their own special way, they are the best and the worst of destiny because They provide a lot of great experiences, but because of the way that Bungie goes about with regards to raids and they don't offer matchmaking, it's left a lot of people high and dry. And I honestly believe that people would be more open to leaving the max light stuff with regards to raids if there was ways to get into these activities. A lot of LFG sites, they have these ridiculous uh, uh, requirements. And it's not because, honestly, it's not because of the people being selfish or greedy or the haves and have-nots. A lot of times, 
People want to complete activities as fast as possible. And that leads me to another problem with this game. The game relies too much on the quickest way to end battles or to end activities. So you don't really go about enjoying or go about appreciating the activity. You go about more at, with regards to speed. For example, a nightfall, which is supposed to be end game activity, something hard, with the appropriate burns and with the appropriate setup can make what is normally a 40 minute activity completed in five. If you get the right burns, the right rolls and everything, you can complete that activity in like five to 10 minutes at most. When Solar Burn was activated last week and people were doing strikes, you saw teams of Titans with the, the melee super activated. So they would just charge at Valus to Arc and burn them in less than 50 and se 30 seconds. Yeah, I saw those videos. That was, <laughs> it's like amazing and sad at the same time. <laughs> yeah, so I, I mean, it's, it, 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 I'm not going to lie. It's definitely interesting and cool to see that the first time. But when you see that that is the approach of everybody with regards to the bosses and burning them as fast as they, as they can, you can kind of see Bungie's position as to why they removed elemental burns from primaries. And one of the things that I've always discussed was, and especially on the show, is that I believe that elemental burn primaries should be in the game and they should be rewards for completing the hard level raid. And for me, with regards to these elemental primaries, I don't want them to be used just for solar burn, arc burn, void burn. I want them to see the actual burns mean something. So the only time you really encounter elemental shields in the regular main campaign, and even in the raid, is when the enemy themselves is a captain, a minotaur, or a wizard. Outside of those, it's very rare, though you will encounter the occasional harpy that has the arc shield. The only time that the enemies themselves start having shields is when there's a modifier in, say, a strike, or a uh, nightfall, or even in the arena, whereas, let's say, the uh, scion will have a void shield or the captain will have an arc shield. It's very rare, and it's unfortunate that there's not more enemies that have these shields. For example, imagine if there was a, a solar-shielded vandal snipers that are all positioned around the area. Normally, you are set up for these vandal snipers with, with no shield, and you can pick them off real quick, but now you have an added challenge of having to take down the shield in order to do any real damage to that sniper. And even if you shoot it while it has that shield, he's not gonna take he's not gonna flinch or anything until you actually take down the shield. That's something that I've always wanted in the game. More of a challenge with regards to those shieldings and more usage of those shieldings, so that it encourages you to actually get those weapons where you're getting the solar, uh, let's say a vision of confluence, for example, and you're doing um, 
Wrath of the Machine and you're dealing with those snipers, but the snipers have now solar shields. You can quickly use the, the Vision of Confluence to take down the shield and pick off that sniper. And it adds value rather than just making every weapon, oh, it has fallen burn or it has it does extra damage to, to fallen enemies. Not that that's a terrible thing, but not everything has to be about additional damage. It can be about elemental damage. That elemental damage is an important thing. And I feel that they're using too much the additional damage with regards to solar burn, arc burn, and void burn that it doesn't always give an appropriate amount of challenge. The only time, the only time I can say that the solar burn really came into play and was dangerous was when it was the the Shield Brother Strike. I've, I'll never not say this. I think the Shield Brother Strike, when it comes to solar burn, is one of the cheapest and <laughs> just poor uses of burn because it almost have it almost entirely requires you to rely on cheeses and that's not a way i want challenges to be i want challenges to be because you were the best at surviving and a lot of the that that one knife fault anytime it came up those two times it was just a complete pain because it was complete cheese and that's what this game has relied on for too long. Cheeses and just playing Gouda to get you across the, the challenge or the event where you can quickly burn something and kill them and avoid the encounter or actually take your time and have to figure out the puzzle. Say what you will about Zelda bosses being too easy. And yes, they are, they are easy. But the fact that you have to learn what the encounter is about and then act on that rather than just mow something down and burn it with solar burn, I think something along those lines would go would go well in Destiny outside of the raids. A lot of times we see these encounters that rely on in the raid on the mechanic where you take down the mechanic and all of a sudden you can do damage and that's really cool. A little bit more of that in Destiny outside of the raid, which we're starting to see with, for example, the Nexus Strike, the, the modified version. It has the Aegis from the Vault of Glass, the shield, in case you don't know what the Aegis is all about, where you take down the shield. And that's really, really cool to see that in the game outside of the raid. I want more of that. And I just want more end game that focuses on rewarding you because you did the activity. I can completely understand people's their desire to be 400 um, in the game because to them they want to complete the game. They want to be at that max level. And sometimes people just cannot get a group together. And I completely sympathize with that. I completely sympathize with that thought. They should be able to play the game they want. But I argue that the better solution isn't just giving you the ability to get max light or in other games, for example, max gear score from doing random activities that don't really offer a challenge. The best way to do that is to provide multiple avenues, multiple sources to max light with different challenges. 
if you don't want to raid and you can only get a team of three together, there should be a three-person version of a knife. Uh, I'm sorry, not nightfall. A three-person version of raid, and not always as a nightfall. That, um, say a really hard dungeon that is that is specific to a three-person team. Not everything has to be arenas. But let's go in and take the arena in a different step. Let's say that there was waves, a horde mode, so to say, with regards to Archon's Forge that you could do once a week. And when you get to level 50, so to say, you have to fight three Archon-style captains that are firing at you. Things like that would be very, very cool and, and basically allow you to get all these different rewards and max slight stuff. And I can easily justify saying, you know what? That's a difficult challenge. Anybody can do it. Anybody can go in. And you should be rewarded with a max light. So my argument isn't so much that max light should be only confined to the raid. But max light should be confined to challenges that are appropriate to that level of reward. Um, and I want to see more activities Take that Archon's Forge in, a, in, a, in an extra level. Make give it waves. Give it so that every ten uh, every ten waves you get a reward. First first level you get let's say an armor piece. Second level you get an, an, a weapon. Third level you get an exotic. Uh, fourth level you get uh, an elemental secondary. Final level you get a chance for an elemental primary. And there's let's say a Vex Mythic class style exotic that can randomly drop. Things like that you get rewarded for, but you still are part of the experience. You're getting involved in the activity. And I think that's how the game should operate more, giving you different activities to do max light rather than the stuff that you do to get to those activities. Strikes are very, very cool, but they are designed or they've always been designed to get you to the next level. And you should be doing those next level items, which may or may not involve matchmaking to get you to the max light. That's what I want to see more of. Yeah. Yeah. Th those are some great thoughts um, that expanded on some comments that we made in previous episodes in regards to the fact that there are too many activities that give you max light items. And your explanation of why these things feel unsatisfying and, um, and why the direction they've taken in destiny one recently isn't the best one. Yeah. Your explanation is really good there. Uh, we talked about in previous episodes, how the, the, um, the fact that solo players have a hard time or should have had a hard time in the past, I should say, getting to max light now it's easier but they don't have to do end game activities the the idea of adding more three person activities that offer a challenge that's appropriate for max light rewards is a really good one and that's something i hope that they maybe even bring into the end of destiny one possibly crossing fingers there's still some time but most likely we'll see in destiny two um the you mentioned early on um, in this segment that here that the speed the speed at which players can finish activities is um, 
let me rephrase that. There are too many activities or too many ways that players can speed through the activity that they're playing and get to the end and get their rewards. Uh, It would be be nice to have activities in Destiny that are endgame oriented for solo players, for groups of three and for groups of six playing on the way things are um, organized currently that things that are challenging and uh, activities that require strategy and a a methodical approach, something or some activities that force you to slow down and play the activity and not just speed through it. You know, the burns, like we mentioned uh, where we had the solar burn, I think that was for the Siva heroic strikes they had the solar burn, and when you hit Valus, it was just boom. He was dead within 30 seconds. That shouldn't happen. I hope that doesn't happen anymore as we move into Destiny 2 because it doesn't feel special when you do that. It's fun, but at the same time, why isn't it fun to have a strike where you're challenged and you're forced to play to the mechanics of that strike or encounter that you're in at the moment. I think that's more fun. I don't want to necessarily see strikes that take an hour, but I want to see strikes that take at least 15, 20 minutes to get through so that when you get the rewards, they're uh, satisfying. Um, and, you know, the expediency of some of these activities and that it also sort of plays to the mindset of the game and the players now with the with in respect to excuse me with respect to the the way the game brings out its content so it's not just in specific activities but it's pervasive throughout the game um players speed through this game very quickly new content comes out just like the rise of iron people were finishing the content and getting up to max light so quickly and that is something that's happened with i believe almost every expansion and it'd be nice if they stop that not make it difficult i mean in year one it was very difficult uh, during vanilla to get to max level to get to level 30 it was 30 right or was it yeah sorry (laughs) yeah it was you'd hit level 28 and then you'd be stuck level 29 you'd be stuck i don't want to necessarily see it that difficult again and that i don't want to see the grind become so repetitive because it's so hard to get to that max level but there's got to be a middle ground there is a middle ground and they haven't hit it but i i i think if they hit that then this game's really gonna propel forward in regards to the number of people that play and stay because we do have a lot of people that play the game but the amount of people that stay in between content releases uh has seemed to be less and less as time goes on. Um, 
So those are just some of my expanded thoughts on what you were talking about there. Yeah, and one thing too that I also wanted to discuss as I started this topic was I want to see Patrol become part of the end game. Um, We already mentioned um, getting a higher difficulty level Patrol, which you were talking about. Um, And one of the things I did mention on this show uh, several episodes back was I want to see there uh, be Final Fantasy style endgame bosses. And what I mean by that is let's take a look at Final Fantasy VII. So you could go through the main campaign and face Sephiroth. That's fine. But the cool thing about Final Fantasy VII wasn't so much going through the story and facing Sephiroth, which was cool. The cool thing about Final Fantasy VII was all the extra stuff that you could do, all the side missions, the quests that you could do. For example, if you wanted the most powerful summon in the game, you could get and breed a golden chocobo so that you could take that chocobo to Round Island so that you can get the materia of Knights of the Round. And what was so cool about Knights of the Round, it was the most... It was the, 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 the most powerful summon, not in terms of time, because that thing take, took forever for no good reason, but it allowed you to do the most amount of damage per summon or, or, or attack phase, I should say. And this was important not so much for Sephiroth, which you could easily kill with Omnislash and other stuff, but what was so important about Knights of the Round was... He was almost necessary to beat the two big bosses, the real end bosses of Final Fantasy VII, which was Ruby Weapon and Emerald Weapon. Um, these bosses had tons of health, tons of, I think it was a million each hit points, which at that time was a lot. And you had to basically outlast them. And the only way you could really outlast them outside of, you know, Omnislash and various other uh, limit breaks was to use Knights of the Round. Uh, You saw people using Knights of the Round with Mimic so that they could just cast that nonstop until the enemies were, were dead. And I've always appreciated being able to play or fight bosses outside of the main campaign. And I don't think that there's enough of that. And one of the cool things would be is, let's say that you're on patrol and you summon uh, an endgame level boss out in, the, out in the world. And this endgame level boss was a multi-tiered fight that whoever's out there on patrol can take advantage of this fight to get endgame rewards because of the type of fight it was. And I would say that Make it so that those elemental primaries are important. You have a boss that is only success, uh, susceptible to arc burn, let's say, at a specific time. And that's what you would use to damage him at that point. And then you have another time when he's only susceptible to solar burn. And he's using his solar abilities all over the place. And you have to hit him with solar burn. Like an, a boss that alternates means that you have to be appropriately equipped to handle all the different types of mobs that are going to be around you, plus the actual boss himself. 
And I think that that would go a long way to adding value to patrol. Right now, patrol is a way of getting planetary materials or going from one place to the other. And if you're on the Dreadnought, the main reason that you're on patrol is to get to Court of Oryx to get whatever you were doing in Court of Oryx. Yeah. Court- if you're on patrol in Plaguelands, you're on your way to um, Archon's Forge. Yeah, and I just was going to say that the Court of Oryx and Archon's Forge seem to be Destiny's way or Bungie's way of introducing things like you were saying for Final Fantasy, like the way they you can summon bosses and such in open world. Um, mm-hmm. That seemed to be Bungie's way of doing the same or introducing something similar. But it didn't quite get there because it didn't really feel like Endgame. Right, oh, and, and I wanted game. to be right. I mean, I, I wanted to be more dynamic than what than just summoning a random boss and anybody can go into there and and fight. I wanted to be that you see this figure. I mean, one of the coolest things about Vanilla was you could see the entrance to Vault of Glass. You could see people activating the 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 what is it the 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 the, the plates. So that they can enter Vault of Glass. You could even assist them into getting into Vault of Glass. <laughs> that actually was and one of my favorite things to do when I'd go to Venus. I would roll over to the entrance to the Vault of Glass to see if there were people over there. And I would just start going ham on Minotaurs and such to help them out. And it, it was actually that that was satisfying to to help people with an endgame activity on patrol. I thought that was really mm-hmm. unique. Right, and, and, and I want a similar experience with regards to that. Let's say that there was an enemy that was designed much like that, where you had to step on several plates, and you had to work with your fire... You, you start off with your fire team, and all of a sudden, other people roll in, and they see what's going on, and you're activating this boss, and all of a sudden, the boss actually comes out, and you're fighting this an ancient creature that was built by the Vex long time ago that you summoned and all of a sudden the Vex see that you summoned them and they're trying to regain control of him and, and, and things are going all over the place and there's, there's chaos. I want chaos like that, 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 that's always been a cool thing for me. Like when you're one of the most fun experiences that I've had in the game is when you're on Skywatch. And you have the taken fighting, you have the the fallen coming in, you have you have the the hive. It's a giant war going on, and you're just completely surrounded. And I've never I, I could easily go from one end to the other and just avoid the entire encounter. But most of the time I'm just in the middle in the thick of it, and I feel like I'm in the Battle of the Bastards from um from <laughs> Uh, Game of Thrones, and I'm just laying into everything, just completely surrounded by enemies, having a lot of fun, just pure chaos. And I want that chaos to be replicated with a boss battle, something gigantic, something that you have to work with a team out on patrol that other people can come in. And all of a sudden, because they helped you take down that gigantic boss that was randomly going around in patrol, rather than going to a specific area... When things are more random and, and, and just happen when you're going into an area, that's always been one of the most fun things about Destiny. And rather than going to a specific central hub for that, that may or may not have people, which is something I, I do hope that they work on and make it so that you can have 
I don't know, 24 people on patrol and they're all still linked in the patrol that when you go into a different part of patrol where, where the, it's a different name section, those blue people don't just disappear. Like, I, I, I want them to persist and let's say that you activate this boss. It sends out a beacon to all the other people and all of a sudden, every, all those 24 people that were on patrol in the different areas start coming towards that location because you set off the beacon. And that would be a very cool way to introduce end game activity and give people rewards to end game stuff that gets you to 400. But because they are doing something that involves lots of people and requires those people, you can easily justify end game rewards. I just want to see more activities beyond what we have here, not just raids, not just the arena, not just in close to specific areas. I want end game to be more dynamic. And that's always what, I, what I've said with regards to this game. And I know people are gonna say, oh, you're trying to be exclusionary. You're, you're, that's not what I'm trying to get at. What I'm trying to get at with regards to end game rewards and activities is that they should be rewarding you for achieving a type of activity that is above and beyond your normal strike or your normal mission. I still want there to be multiple avenues to end game light. Let's say you're 400, but I want different sources of end game light to be behind these activities, these challenging fun activities that encourage you to go out and do those and then make it so that the raid has exclusive weapons that for example, have the elemental burns. That way you give even more incentive to go out and do the raid. And on Bungie's side too, it's it, it's got to happen. You have to introduce some sort of matchmaking system for an easier version of the raid or even the normal, let's say a month after, that you have the choice to toggle on and off. Yeah, when Heroic drops, they should allow you to matchmake normal. Right. And I know... People are going to cry foul and say, no, that's not, that's not how you should experience a raid. Sometimes people need to experience a raid the way they want and, and whatever comes of it. I mean, we, we, we go through it now with strikes. That's not giving those people that are matchmaking the raid on normal, the opportunity to get max level light. That's giving them the opportunity to get to the activity that gives them max level light rewards. I think that's okay. Right. But here's the thing too, like what's important. I think that the problem going on is, isn't so much that the light is holding people back. People are often timid. They're, they're timid to get into, into these activities because they feel that they might fail and they're afraid of being booted out of these activities because they might fail. And failure is part of these end game activities. Um, remember the very first raid team that completed Vault of Glass died a collective thousand times. <laughs> it was ridiculous. It, it was something like you're looking at the death total and you're like, what? But yeah, it, failure is part of these raids. And I feel that people are afraid of failure because they've seen the horror stories of LFG where people get booted out. And... Or people leave and, and people never come back. And I want to see more ways for people to get into these activities. 
knowing full well that they have to actively communicate. They have to turn on that microphone. In fact, I would make it so that be annoying like Nintendo. Remember when the Nintendo Wii came out, every single game that started had that, make sure that you put that strap on. Make sure you put that strap on. Make it so that if you choose a, a, a matchmaking activity, put down, we highly recommend that you put on a microphone and you turn it on. Yeah, that's if you would like us. If you would like to turn on the microphone, press triangle. Otherwise, press X to continue. Be as annoying as possible because you want to encourage people to use those microphones. Though you and communication is important. Yeah, that's the that's the best part about the raids, to some degree, or for some people, is the social aspect and the communication. If yeah, I want end game activities like raids and other things like nightfalls and such. I want them to be accessible to everyone. I want there to be a way to make them accessible to everyone somehow or some way. We've discussed some of those mm -hmm. ways here. But if you're mm -hmm. not going to take the extra step to put the microphone in, I mean, you have a PlayStation, you have Destiny, you have a microphone because it came with your PlayStation. It may be cheap, but... And it may not sound great, but it works. It should work. If it doesn't work, then there are very inexpensive alternatives to get a microphone. If you've invested in a PlayStation and, if you, and you, you have invested in the game Destiny, then I, I don't want to speak to people having hardship financially, but you, there, there are ways to get a microphone inexpensively or possibly free. There are. There are ways <laughs> you should be able to communicate with the people that you're playing with somehow. So, um, but that being said, you know, you are, you're, you're talking about, um, you, so many things are going through my head right now in regards to some of the things you were saying. Um, you know, the, 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 the ability to get max light, um, and, and adding activities that are that have the challenge that are appropriate, you know, it's just that's something that they really have to do. Um, the patrol ideas are great. Um, you know, I had an idea where you know we had we, we talked before about the social spaces and trying to integrate them into the game, where you're you're instead of patrol and social spaces being separate, basically make them the same thing. You have areas that are sort of like your social space where you can go to your factions, get quests, um, have like a tower type feel or, you know, where, where it's not the tower anymore, but it's like a town in the patrol area that you go to, to do everything socially, you know, but the, and then having the, the type of event happen where it's like a public event where everyone can join and you actually get uh, notified that it's occurring these end game level public events that can drop max rewards. You know, my, I had that or a specific idea where say the towers destroyed in between destiny one and destiny two, or say that's how destiny one ends. That's been covered through other venues and by other, uh, by other outlets. Um, but say now you're in the last city, say earth, is expanded so the last city is your social area in earth and then you still have the other areas for patrol and you have a public event that can occur or 
I don't want to say summon because in this specific idea, it would just happen. And what would happen is you would have a horde mode where the fallen are attacking and they're attacking a specific section of the wall surrounding the city. You have to, as a guardian, defend the city. So it, it say, uh, it, it spawns in and everyone that's in that instance all we'll use 24 as an example all 24 players in that instance on patrol on earth get a notification that this section of the wall is being attacked so you can say hit, get your jump ship and fly over there real quick and spawn in or say you're close so you hop on your sparrow and you you, you ride over so all 24 people can get there and start defending the city and you just have waves after wave after wave and maybe even a boss or two or three spawn in during this wave uh during the waves of enemies and it feels like an actual attack on the city like they're actually trying to get in like an army of fallen are attacking and breaching the wall or attempting to breach the wall you know something like that would be awesome and would be a really great end game public activity it would be cool if they did something like that and made it so that people can get these end game rewards through an end game level activity but not have to play a raid or matchmake because it and, and not to say that i don't want people raiding but uh an end another it's just another end game level activity an idea for one at least mm -hmm. so before we continue I do want to take a little bit of a break to let East to West Elite, a.k.a. the fantastic members over there at Rasputin Radio, give their thoughts on Destiny, what they liked, didn't like, and what they want to see in the future. So, East to West Elite, go ahead and take over. What's up, everybody? This is Chicken Honus from Rasputin Radio here to answer some community questions. We're hyped and we're ready for this. Question number one. What do you like about Destiny? Vanilla 2 Rise of Iron, be specific. Me, personally, I love how it's grown. Um, and my number one love for this game is community. Everything about this community is what keeps me coming back and keeps me alive in this game. Um, the content's awesome, the game's awesome, the story's awesome, but just the people I've met and the people I continue to meet are the reason why I play this game. What about you guys? I, I went into it... Um about the game and the fact that it's giving me pve and pvp aspects and and the potential that this game had to be like um a true mmorpg um however uh once being a part of the community and seeing how it's grown seeing how you know the friendships i've made through this game um and how you know it's just been a fantastic experience overall um you know, we always wish for more, but right now I just feel like this game is just everything that I need in the game. It's giving me the, you know, what I need to keep playing it. All right, let's move on to question number two. Question number two says, what didn't we like about Destiny 1? Be specific. Now, me, I, one of my things was the inconsistency of the drops, like the drop system. How about that? Like, it was one thing, and then you get used to that, and then they change it, 
and then we get used to that and then we change it and then the level system is different like i like the where it is now where it's like you can out hustle the rng um but like when it was playing over and over and over and over again for a 320 ghost and just absolutely forcing me to leave the game because i was driving myself insane that that's one of the things i disliked about destiny one just more consistent uh like way of leveling and drops stuff. Um, I, I kind of want to see the story expand, the lore expand, and kind of tie different things into each other rather than it just kind of be, here's this weapon. It's from this guy. Here's this. It, it doesn't really mm-hmm. go together. Um, like I said, the, the storytelling was very uh, vanilla. That's why it's called vanilla. Um, another thing for me was... Uh, the uh, the constant nerfing of things oh, that are special. Yeah. I feel like exotics are nerfed. Mm-hmm. You know, like like for me, you got this. You got this perk like on the black spindle or the black hammer that makes it special, and then they nerf it. You know, instead of yeah. buffing things they want people to do, they just nerf, nerf, nerf. And yeah. and that was my big pet peeve. And that goes. And and I feel like. Half the time, I was being penalized on weapons because of PvP, and I'm a PvE player. So that was a big thing for me. I hear you. Um, like, I don't use shotguns, but if I wanted to use a shotgun, it, like, everything was nerfed out the wazoo with that. So mm-hmm. that was a big issue for me. All right, all right. Um, okay, number three. What made you stop playing Destiny if you did? Okay, I will go first because... It's one specific thing, a 320 ghost. I went insane, literally, to the point where I probably broke my gaming chair. It was a Home Depot chair. Don't worry about it. It wasn't some fancy chair. Um, and I just rage quit. Salt, moist gate, as much as you want it to be. Um, and I took a break, played Division, and I, in me playing those other games, it wasn't Destiny. And I was like, man, nothing can, nothing can get me like what Honus said. Nothing, just Destiny has it all. So I came back and I was only gone for like maybe a month. Um, but when I came back, I got that 320 Ghost and it was all lovely. What about you guys? Um, I, I stopped playing at times because my clan did. Um, these guys are part of the clan. So, um, we, you know, I always rotate games specifically, like I'll play an Uncharted when it comes out or I'll play Madden or whatever. And I'll just take my time and, and, and kind of gear back Destiny, but I always play at least a little bit. But really when we stopped playing Destiny for a while was because all my clan members went to Division. (laughs) They, you know, and, and it gave us something a little different because of that drought. So that was it for me. All right, moving on to question number four. What made you keep playing? Now, I usually soldier through droughts. I always did. Um, and that's when I would clean up my quest, you know, make a new character, collect gear sets, help uh, people, Sherpa people. Um, basically, what made me keep going through droughts is just, you know, being a part of the community and giving back. That's, you know, I got on to help people. I got on to make uh, help people get through old raids. Maybe people who just picked up the game, kindergartens, and got them through carrying people through Crota. I remember we did that stuff all the time. They would just like stand up on that ledge right there and just let us do everything. Just don't die, and we would just do everything for them and get them some gear. So that's why I kept playing through droughts. 
I, I just keep playing because, you know, the community and, and it keeps coming out with fresh things to do. Um, even though half the time they're retreads, I still enjoy doing this. Um, I play because of my the community and, and my clan because it's fun. And, you know, we do things together and it's fantastic. All right. Next question is number five. What you've seen in other games that you want to see come to Destiny? I will start off by saying transmog. Transmogification. I want to be able to pick a certain piece of gear, take perks from another one, and just keep the cosmetics of another gear. Because in this game, you notice when you get top tier stuff that everybody kind of looks the same. And it's mm -hmm. kind of like, ah, uh, and then that's why I go for the weird looks sometimes because no one looks like that. So, I mean, they're doing better by bringing old blue capes back and stuff like that. But still, it's, you know, uh, you should be able to, you know, modify your guy a lot to make it what you want. My biggest thing is that I loved from Call of Duty was that we can customize our emblems and guns and and put like your own emblems on and logos on things. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that would be fantastic um, if we had that. I I love our clan. We play a lot, so I would love a custom emblem for us that we created and and kind of like just kind of show off what we have and and changing things the way they look, adding maybe, you know, the one thing I did like at Division is that you could add different um, mods to different guns and, mm -hmm. and things like that. Maybe we could, that you know, maybe we could have some of that, like different, like a silencer that adds stability or something that adds a different look, you know. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, I don't know, little things like that just to add more customization in, in this game. That's my big thing. Um, also, dedicated servers is another big thing oh, for me. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. You know, yes, yes, I, I mean, yes. I, I, I'm not a big PvP person, but I, when I do play PvP, which is Iron Banner, I want to see dedicated servers. I think that if they had dedicated servers as well, it would help with the raids and the less glitching in the raids. So, I mean, good, I guess. Um, so, that's it for me. I agree. Dedicated servers for sure. Um, number six, the final question, what you hope the game becomes in the future? My answer is legend. I hope it becomes legend where people will be talking about it. Like it was Mario or like it was Mega Man or like it was not necessarily Final Fantasy because that's in its own category, but like. Just, you know, you remember that one first-person shooter that was awesome, had had that story that was actually good in the end when you figured everything out, and it had those the good, you know, PvP elements and all that, you know. I just really hope it comes into its own, like, it has the potential too, and I really hope it gets there. You know, it's like it's a child, and we're like, I you're so going to be so good if only you just grow up the right way. So let's just hope it grows into what it can be. And I hate to do this, but can I go back and uh, say something I want to add? Yeah. Because <laughs> I forgot about this go one. Ahead. I want to see this grow, and this kind of touches on this question too, is that I want to see it grow into a larger um, free world space where you can get into, like, world bosses with, like, multiple yes. fire teams of six. Yes. Um, different clans coming together. And, mm. Right. 
Well, I, I mean, like, even bigger than that, like, if this is a true community game, then we want to get different clans together. We have to unite the clans, per se, and do these massive-scale um, incursions or, uh, or instances so we can, you know, do – and we have to coordinate on a larger scale other than six, which would be kind of cool. Like, that's where I want to see it go. Um, kind of World of Warcraft-esque, but, like, uh, you know, not like that. You know, I want it to be its own thing, but kind of, like, on a bigger scale. I, I want to see everything grow. More larger scale. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Game, I hope your game becomes larger scale. I hope everything is scaled up, where it becomes, like you said, I agree with the gold standard. I agree with things like... You know, progressing and the story being better, and this whole this whole legend aspect. But I wanted to see it progress bigger. Like just everything becomes bigger. The raids are longer and better and more involved. Um, you know, just it just becomes its potential that everyone sees that it is. That's that's what I hope. Would be awesome to have like a twelve man raid. That would be right. <laughs> right. All right. Well, I think that oh, there's the baby. I think that wraps it up for us here at uh for Speeding Radio. Thank you guys for your questions. All right, and thanks to the people over there at Rasputin Radio for their contribution to the show. Um, make sure that if you guys have any questions or if you want to get involved with the show, I would actually like to have a lot of a lot more of you guys uh, call in. Uh, you can definitely uh, send us a voice. Um, message over to in orbit podcast at gmail.com i was thinking of adding a speaker pipe later on but we'll see how that goes but for right now you can always reach us at in orbit podcast at gmail.com with that i'm gonna go ahead and end this show uh we definitely appreciate you guys listening to us the past two weeks our thoughts on the game, what we want to see with regards to the game, and the future of the game. And it's going to be an exciting 2017. Um, we're looking forward to the potential April update, which will refresh everything. And we're definitely looking forward to the potential of great adventures and a gigantic world to explore in Destiny 2. So with that, Jordan, why don't you go ahead and wrap this bad boy up? As always, thank you for listening to In Orbit. We are available on a ton of platforms, so make sure you are spreading the word. The best way to do that is to share In Orbit with others. We're on iTunes, SoundCloud, Overcast for iOS, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Player FM, Pocket Casts, and we have an RSS feed. Links are available for each platform right on the Mash Those Buttons website at www.mashthosebuttons.com. Make sure to stay tuned after the show to hear what's coming this week on Mash Those Buttons. Make sure to check out the other shows on the Mash Those Buttons network at mashthosebuttons.com shows to see all of our podcasts. For any questions regarding scheduling, check mashthosebuttons.com schedule for scheduling details. And check us out on twitter.com slash mtbsite, facebook.com slash mashthosebuttons, youtube.com slash mashthosebuttons, Jordan, where can people find you at? You can find me on Twitch at IMTBot and on Twitter at IM underscore TBot. And as always, you can find me on all the different social network sites and gaming screen names at GoToNRG on all locations. Make sure to contact us with any questions to inorbitpodcast at gmail.com. My prior events are not a memory. 
It is momentum. It advances, leads, and controls, points and directs, shapes and forms. I may not enjoy what lies in front of me, but as in any story, the past needs resolution. We are the authors, the finishers of our fate. What is in my past is my prologue, and what is in my future is my destiny. And on behalf of the entire In Orbit team, David, Jordan, Jarrett, and myself, we thank you for listening to our show, and as always, we'll see you on the next mission. Your Destiny Calls. Thank you for choosing a Mash Those Buttons podcast. Here's what's coming up this week on Mash Those Buttons. On Monday, January 9th, Jorge, David, and Jordan transmit in orbit. This week continuing their analysis of Destiny and discussing social spaces and endgame. On Tuesday, January 10th, Nick, Ray, Jeremy, and Eric bring you the latest in Warcraft on WoW Talk. This week talking about patch 7.1.5, and Diablo and Overwatch in Warcraft. On Wednesday, January 11th, Jarrett, Mikey, and Bond bring you the latest in Overwatch and its community on Watchpoint Radio. This week talking about Roadhog's hook nerf, upcoming character balance, and celebrating our one-year anniversary. On Friday, January 13th, Mike, Rob, and Luke bring you the latest in the division on SitRep Radio. This week, talking about the state of the Dark Zone with one of the original Elite Task Force members and host of What Remains podcast, Deep Fried Dave. To find more information on all of our shows, go to mashthosebuttons.com slash shows. And to see our full podcast schedule, visit mashthosebuttons.com slash schedule.